Greetings, and welcome back to What's Next. I'm your host, Dr. Paige Perkey. In today's episode, we will be discussing strategies, tools, and resources to help support us in our sleep and insomnia efforts. To help me with this is Dr. Judy Ann Jones. Judy Ann is a clinical psychologist with Methodist Labonner Healthcare and actually works with patients and clients to support them with their sleep-related needs. And actually, Judy Ann completed her PhD at the University of Memphis, and we actually attended grad school together. So Judy Ann is not only someone who's here to help us with our lifestyle choices, specifically sleep, but also she's a dear friend. So I hope you all will welcome Dr. Judy Ann Jones as she helps us on this episode of What's Next. Stay tuned. So first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to be on What's Next. We are so excited to have you and learn everything that we can about CBTI. So speaking of, can you tell us about CBTI, its background, its history? What is CBTI? CBTI, so if we just kind of piece apart what the actual name stands for, it's Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. So when we think about cognitive behavioral therapy in the traditional sense, It is looking at how we address both our cognition, so what we think, and our behavior, so what we're doing, and then how that relates to the interference that it causes with people who have sleep problems. So insomnia in its traditional sense is actual distress or anxiety about sleep. So fears related to falling asleep, mid-sleep awakening, awakening too early and having significant levels of distress about how that sleep pattern is going to affect your day-to-day. Are you feeling tired during the day? Are you having difficulty kind of doing regular things around the house or at work and how that can kind of be noticeable and observed by other people. So this overall distress that works up around something that every one of us needs to do to be able to feel restored and feel refreshed the next day. So what are some of the triggers that elicit or produce this this state of insomnia? So we think about it in three places in terms of the ways that insomnia develops within each individual. So the first thing is what we call predisposing factors. So predisposing factors are things that I kind of joke around and say it's kind of what your mom and dad gave you. Mm -hmm. You have a tendency to be someone who might be a little bit more anxious or on edge just in general because of that biological predisposition that maybe some other person may not have. So that kind of sets the stage for a little bit of an inch of what may contribute to insomnia. Then we have life experiences, and this is what we consider precipitating factors. So things like stressful life events, or different types of experiences that kind of go on for long periods of time that affect our sleep. And that, you know, doesn't necessarily equate insomnia, but what then can kind of go on to develop insomnia as being a sleep-related issue are things like perpetuating factors. So when I think about perpetuating factors, it's kind of like an object that's kind of in motion, continues to be in motion. It's kind of those patterns that we start to kind of fall into because of our sleep-related problems. So we might feel more aroused before we get to bed, increase our sleep effort, 
do more napping during the day, spend a lot more time in bed than maybe we should, and not be sleeping. So reducing that kind of connection that we might have with sleeping in bed only to in telling ourselves in our head that what I do in bed is I really don't sleep very much there. And that starts to then perpetuate that sleep-related distress and then protract it into an insomnia type of state or a sleep-related problem. Interesting. So how can cognitive behavioral therapy be used to treat these factors that you just described for us? So when we think about cognitive behavioral therapy, there's that cognitive, the thought component, and then there's also our behavioral component. So when we think about cognitive behavioral therapy, the first thing we want to consider is actual types of behavioral interventions. And one of the components of CBTI is what we call sleep restriction therapy. So a big part of what we think about with sleep restriction is what we fall into as human beings as part of our patterns with sleep and just kind of what we know about sleep is we're often spending a lot more time in bed awake than we actually realize. So part of the issue there is that we start to strengthen that association with the bed, with a place that we don't really spend a lot of time sleeping. And that's part of where, when I was talking about those different factors that contribute to insomnia, like perpetuating factors, that's where that starts to come in and take a little bit more of a hold over the problems that people encounter over sleep. So when we think about sleep restriction therapy and what that involves, I kind of think about it putting your sleep window on a diet. So kind of putting smaller bookends as to kind of what that window is likely for you. And the best way that we can get a good picture of what that looks like for each person is being able to start really looking at your sleep and keeping a diary of some kind. And there's different ways people can do sleep diaries and different ways that people can kind of maintain their record of what their sleep looks like. But probably one of the best ways and one of the ways that is free and available is an app that is exactly what this treatment's name is. It's CBT-I Coach, which is the insomnia treatment. So it's able to have an additional resource to be able to kind of walk through how to maintain a diary and it gives you output of what your sleep looks like. So how much time you're sleeping, how much time you're spending in bed and how good of a sleeper you are. I kind of see it like when we're giving ourselves the ratio of those two things, you get a grade. It's kind of like in school. So like if you're getting a good like 85%, you're rocking a B. But if you're getting even higher, like 90, 95%, you're kind of doing pretty good. And as we're kind of looking at what our sleep looks like and we're realizing we might be kind of in the the lower end of things, like getting a C or a D in terms of our percentages, that's where we can intervene and put that sleep a little bit on on a diet, um, give it a little bit of a restriction, and then slowly expand that time as we get better at sleep. So as we get better grades and efficiency, then we're able to give ourselves some time. So that is the behavioral side of things. We can also then kind of control a little bit of our environment. So what we call stimulus control, it's similar kind of features to what people may have heard before of like sleep hygiene. So things like not getting into bed unless you're feeling sleepy, trying to reduce things that might kind of trigger other 
unsleep-related cues when you're in the bed, staying off the phone, not having a TV on, making sure it's cool, working kind of towards some kind of wind-down type of period before bed. All of those things are really helpful behavioral strategies along with the sleep restriction that can really help people out. Now, in terms of the cognitive side, just to kind of speak to that, we also want to try to figure out ways to kind of reduce our sleep effort, to not feel really stressed before we go to bed. And there's different kinds of strategies even available through that app I mentioned that can kind of walk people through that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. You mentioned a few techniques that I was thinking of myself, so at least I know that I'm on the right track. (laughs) I've actually learned that having a bedtime routine for me is really helpful with getting great sleep and also being productive the next day. Like for instance, I have like a little routine where I'll, you know, wash my face and I use this little like facial tool on my face to get everything flowing. And sometimes I'll just, honestly, I just hop into bed and I do some yoga nidra or deep breathing and that tends to knock me out. (laughs) But I think you made a really great point about the checking your phone in bed. I think a lot of us resonate with that. And I've even thought about maybe like putting the phone in another part of the room or just making a promise to myself to really make it a a conscious choice to not look at my phone until, for instance, well, not to look at my phone once I've started my bedtime routine, once I start washing my face and winding down. And then also for me in the morning, waiting until after I meditate and do yoga and read and all my little self-care, get up routine practices. So I'm so glad you shared that. And I think that that could be really beneficial for our listeners. So, which actually brings me to, are the rules hard and fast or are they adaptable based on individual differences? So there's a few things to consider when we think about some of the guidelines for good sleep. So the three components that are the most essential are one, a consistent wake time is the most important, is the most robust part of kicking our different sleep-related processes that kind of help us to work through some of our sleep-related problems. So by setting a consistent wake time, waking up the same time, no matter what day of the week it is, if even it's a day that you don't have to go to work and you have that likelihood or tendency to sleep in, it is the best to keep that same time no matter what. The reasoning behind that because of the next element of good sleep, which is our sleep drive. When we think about sleep drive, that is very similar to what I kind of relate to with the process of hunger. So the more hungry you are for sleep at the end of the day, the more likely you're going to sleep for a longer period of time that's less disrupted. So we think about sleep drive as being something that increases over the course of wakefulness. And we want to try to stay away from things like napping because napping is kind of like if you were to take a big snack before eating your dinner, you're less likely to be able to eat your dinner or enjoy your dinner or have as good of a dinner Mm -hmm. if you've done that. So then what we think about with sleep drive is that we want to only get in bed when we feel sleepy, which is a tricky concept 
because a lot of what society has kind of pressured us to think is that we only get in bed when the the sun goes down or when things are kind of winding down in the rest of our house. So part of that transition in thinking about things a little bit differently, the cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy is being able to say to yourself, do I in my inside, like internally feel sleepy? Now we can feel tired. A lot of us feel tired during this time with a lot of the things going on in society and things going on with the, with COVID and the restrictions. We're exhausted. We're tired. But there's a difference between being tired because tired sometimes equals being wired. We get in the bed, put our head on the pillow, and our eyes are open right away versus feeling actually sleepy. Like I think about like with my, my, my three-year-old when, you know, he was sitting in the high chair sometimes and it'd be really late in the day and he hadn't had his nap and those eyes just start to shut. That's that cue that I need to maybe get into, into bed because I'm more likely to fall asleep pretty quickly versus my, my husband or the rest of my house is asleep. So I should be asleep too. So trying to reduce that sleep effort is key. Now, the last part is what you were just mentioning about that wind down time. The third element of really good sleep is when our arousal or just our like tension and stress is a lot lower. So if we are able to kind of kick into gear those three pieces, we're more likely to have better sleep. We're more likely to kind of feel overall like we're going to be able to fall asleep more easily without effort, consistently get that wake time to get regulated and finding ways to kind of help reduce that arousal before we get into bed and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then things tend to help to even out a little bit for folks with doing those three things. So question, you said consistent wake time. What about a consistent go to bed time? That's a tricky thing. So when we kind of figure out what your sleep window is, and that's where that sleep restriction comes in handy. And that's where sometimes we might need to get a therapist involved or someone who's trained in insomnia treatment to really get a close eye at it to kind of come up with a real strategic plan around it. But what we always want to think about is, okay, do I start to feel sleepy around 10 o'clock? That may or may not be the case for everybody. It might just be for those people that fall in that, you know, traditional window of sleep window. But if you're not quite sleepy enough at that time, wait a few minutes until you actually get into the bed or wait for, you know, do something relaxing or calming outside of the bed. So we're not kind of in the bed and not sleeping and then try to make that transition to trying to fall asleep. If you notice without looking at the clock, which human beings are really good at kind of the gauge of time that 15 minutes have gone by and you haven't fallen asleep yet, it's a good idea to kind of hop out of the bed do something calm, relaxing, non-stimulating. For me, it might be sorting laundry or folding or even just getting the getting mail sorted, not bills or anything like that, but doing something that is just, you know, pretty monotonous and not triggering. And then try to do that, get back into bed again when that sleep drive might be a little bit stronger. So would you recommend for someone like me or anyone really? So Yoga Nidra is like a guided it, it's, it can be a guided meditation, but it, I'm not 
asleep per se or like a body scan you know where you're slowly focusing on different aspects of your body and relaxing the body or even doing deep breathing where you inhale for let's say for a count of four or five and then exhale longer because that's been known to facilitate the the down regulation process so we can fall asleep so you're saying that it may be better to do those practices outside of bed yes unless you're already doing them and you don't have a problem with falling asleep. Okay. You know, we want to think about this as being interventions that are helpful for people who have distress and insomnia around sleeping. So as I kind of try to relay this to some of my patients, it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. So we traditionally, if someone's battling insomnia and they want to be able to start reading before bed in bed, I would, I would actually encourage them not to do that. But if you're someone who reads in bed and that's always been the case and you easily fall asleep because you're doing that, keep on doing it and that's not an issue. So part of it is just trying to kind of see where that insomnia line falls for somebody and being able to know, do I edge more on the side of someone who might be just having just some general sleep difficulty and need to kind of look a little bit at my patterns and some of my behaviors or am I actually struggling with insomnia where I may need to modify a lot of what I'm doing right now because it's been maladaptive and figure out ways to kind of almost start out new and fresh and figuring out ways to better aid with my sleep pattern based on my biological clock, my circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you, I appreciate that you differentiated between like actual insomnia versus, okay, maybe I just need to modify, make some good, wise behavioral choices to facilitate the process of going to sleep because there is a difference, right? <laughs> yes. And the, and the handy thing about the app that I mentioned that's free is a lot of those things that you talked about, like a body scan or mindfulness practice and things like that are really helpful to kind of reduce that arousal level are all available and free through the app and through the tools part of the app, which put out by the federal government it's handy and it's helpful for a lot of folks even if they just want to start to bridge some strategies not necessarily the full cbti treatment yeah very cool cbti coach is the name of the app thank you again for repeating that so what are some conditions that would require someone to maybe seek additional help outside of that app that you referred to like they may need to go to a sleep clinic what are some behaviors or experiences that they would have? What are those conditions? Just to help people bring it into their awareness, like, hey, I might need a little more help. So some of the symptoms that you might experience that might warrant what we call a sleep study, which you could ask your primary care doctor for a referral for, or just any of your medical providers for additional information. One of the most common is sleep apnea. Uh, that people experience. So some of the warning signs for sleep apnea is if you experience tiredness during the day, you have higher blood pressure, you have a bed partner that may say that you stop breathing in the middle of the night, or you might be a snorer. If you have a good amount of those types of symptoms, I definitely would talk to your doctor about possibly having a sleep study because untreated sleep apnea without the use of a CPAP machine could potentially contribute to like long-standing health-related conditions and may actually be part of the driver of what might be contributing to some of your sleep problems. 
Now, we're not saying that insomnia treatment isn't necessarily something you can do while having untreated sleep apnea, but at the same time, it's definitely something that can, in the long term, have a lot of lasting kinds of health-related effects. Now, there's other things that sometimes could warrant also an additional workup related to related to sleep. So people who experience restless leg syndrome, that can be also treated and helped by your medical doctors or providers with medication. Or also what people sometimes experience in the middle of the night, whether it be parasomnias like nightmares or sleepwalking behaviors or even periodic limb movement disorders where you might kick or be pretty restless in your sleep. Those types of things are things that you might want to talk about with your your primary care doctor, or even further have a sleep study to really evaluate what might be going on and contributing to some of those sleep-related behaviors in the middle of the night that could contribute to restlessness and mid-sleep awakening that is even unknown to you in the moment. Because when we think about periodic leg movement disorders, you're kicking and flailing or might have different things going on that might disrupt your bed partner, the person that you share your bed space with. And in those circumstances, sometimes you might wake up because they kind of tap you and be like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) Which is a lot different than insomnia, but you're not getting good sleep because you're getting woken up in the middle of your sleep cycle. Mm -hmm. So definitely Mm -hmm. things to kind of look into. And my suggestion in those scenarios is to definitely talk to your medical provider about what their suggestions might be, whether it be medication or a sleep study, really get a full evaluation of what might help you best. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, th- I think that'll definitely resonate with a lot of people. I just I was thinking about my dad too. I was like, man, I need to talk to him about this, about this episode. This is so great. Thank you. So getting a little bit away from the clinical aspect of it and more in a general sense. So how can good sleep, you know, empowering yourself to really take ownership of your sleep. How can good sleep and good sleep practices support us in our waking life, for instance, like problem-solving abilities, etc.? I think the first thing that comes to mind is if we're feeling more rested as we kind of start our day. Now, one of the little myths about sleep is that we're supposed to, quote, feel rested when we wake up, which is actually a falsity. Mm. But if once we kind of get the ball rolling with our day, kind of, you know, get get started with something with, with our morning routine, then if we're feeling less tired throughout the day, we're more likely to have more energy to do things. We're more likely to engage in behaviors that are going to be helpful to our overall wellness. I know a lot of what you talk about in this podcast are things like really mindful and intentional types of things that we can implement to kind of help our overall wellness and mental health. And people who sleep better are more likely to do things like exercise, eat better, be more focused throughout the day, and be able to be at their best. So thinking about how those types of elements of good sleep will promote our daily activities being a little more constructive, a little more productive, a little bit more helpful. And overall, then encourage the sleep drive at the end of the night, where we're more likely to feel like we have that internal cue to fall asleep than we are when we're more sedentary and have less going on throughout our morning Mm -hmm. or day. So can you tell us, how can the listener know the difference between feeling you're just tired from waking up versus 
hey, I actually need more sleep right now. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a struggle, figuring out what that ideal time frame is for everyone. And a lot of that is looking closely at your sleep and what your ideal sleep window is. But once you kind of figure out what roughly is that ideal wake time, you want to try to hit that consistently. Consistent wake times is the most important for our circadian clock, our biological clock, our circadian rhythm, whatever we might want to call it, because that is what sets the stage for that sleep drive later in the day. And as your day progresses, your sleep drive gets stronger and it makes it more likely that your sleep the next night is going to be better. There's no such thing as catching up on lost sleep. The only thing that we want to focus on is a consistent sleep and wake schedule. And the things that we want to think about is waking up consistently at the same time, regardless of how good of a night's sleep you've had the night before, and then only getting in bed when you feel sleepy. And when working with a provider specifically on looking at those types of things, you can come out with, come, come up with the most ideal bedtime or ideal time that you might feel most sleepy. But at the same time, when you feel that urge and you feel that internal type of sensation that you're really sleepy, then get in bed because that's the time that is going to be most likely that you're going to fall asleep and have less of that distress related sleep for people who struggle with sleep problems. Okay, so it sounds like definitely self-experimentation is a huge part of this, and you already mentioned how a journal or that CBTI app can be incredibly helpful in this process to support them. So what are some other tips to get out of bed even when we're tired? Can you help us with that? (laughs) So we we think about like this idea of enjoying your morning, so figuring out incentives to get yourself out of bed is an ideal way to kind of get that morning started. So for me, I always think about something that helps just get me out of bed in the morning. It's just important to kind of think about ways to incentivize that that desire to get your feet on the ground and get your day started. I know that if I don't put that TV on and start some of that news and get my day started with that cup of coffee, that's not going to happen the way that I would like for it to and kind of get that ball rolling. So it's figuring out what in your routine is gonna make it more likely that you're gonna get that day started and get your your butt out of the bed and get that, that routine in some kind of structured way. People drink coffee, get in the shower, watch the news, make sure that they listen to a certain podcast or whatever it might be. It's just a way to get that, that, that energy flowing get that ball rolling and get their routine kicked into gear. Once that happens, then the rest of the day glaze itself and you're more likely to have a better night's sleep the next next day. Mm -hmm. I love that you said get the energy flowing. That's one of the main, the main, one of the main motivators for me is, is I start the day with meditation and yoga because it, it does, like you were saying, it helps me to feel very much awake and engaged and in the present moment. But I've had to learn, and I think this is important for everyone, is to realize that sometimes our motivational factors in the morning, they shift and they change. And so I've had to meet myself where I'm at and realize, like, for a while, meditating first thing in the morning, it just wasn't working for me. So I had to switch, and I started reading a really interesting book to help me to wake up. And then I would shift and go to those other practices that are motivating that help get my 
get my day started right. <laughs> yeah, and that's that trial and error kind of process, that experimentation, figuring out what works best. You know, when we think about it with insomnia-based treatments, it's figuring out ways to enjoy your morning. So if enjoying your morning starts off with something that you didn't think once was something you enjoyed and it works for you, do it. And then it starts with that momentum energy to kind of get that day started. I love that. It's so great. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners that you think would be helpful for them or any funny experiences related to sleep or insomnia or anything to that effect? I would just mention that it just happens for everybody. So it's a struggle that we have either like one day out of the year or multiple weeks out of the year and just really noticing when it may happen for you. And if there is something that you may need to do about it, reach out for help or assistance with providers in the community, just seeing whether or not that's something that is a struggle. And if it's a struggle, then sometimes we need to reach out for help But if it's something that you can grasp and try to use some of the strategies we've talked about today as being helpful, then that's something be a springboard to move towards improved sleep and overall wellness as we kind of work through some of these struggles, not even just with today, but with a lot of the things that we've just got going on right now with the additional stressors and pressures of society. Right. Um, So I appreciate, Judianne, you saying that it's, it's important and, and it can be beneficial to reach out to for support and help. And, and I appreciate you and being that source of support for us. So thank you again for being on What's Next. We loved having you. <laughs> it was great meeting with you today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And that concludes today's episode on Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia with Dr. Judy Ann Jones working with Methodist Labonner Healthcare. I've had a lot of friends, family, and colleagues reach out to me on this topic of sleep and insomnia, and I hope that this episode meets your needs, whether you are struggling with insomnia or maybe you're just trying to adopt better sleep patterns and and healthy habits. No matter where you are on the spectrum, I, I do genuinely hope that this episode helped you in some way, if not for yourself, hopefully for a loved one or friend. Now, before we sign off, I'd like to offer one more suggestion that I hope you find helpful. And this tip actually comes from my own personal experiences. It's actually something that I have recently adopted to help me in waking up at the same time every day. And again, I I hope you find it helpful too. So as you may recall, Dr. Judy Ann Jones referred to the use of a journal for self-reflection, right? Self-experimentation, reflecting on the differing strategies or approaches that you use to adopt better sleeping patterns. And so we can use this journal, as she mentioned, in a lot of different ways. I'm going to briefly recap just a few ideas of what she had mentioned, and then I'm going to infuse and integrate my approach too. So if you recall, she mentioned deciding what is the best wake-up time for you. And you you may need to explore and figure that out. You may need to spend a week figuring out, okay, does, for instance, 5 a.m. work for me? Or maybe 6 or or whatever that looks like for you. Another strategy is, and this is really important, as she said, discerning the difference between wired 
versus tired or wired versus sleepy. That might be a better way to conceptualize it. And so really, again, discerning physiologically what does that feel like in the body. And the only way we can build our awareness of that understanding, that physiological sensation in our body is through this self-reflective process, through the process of journaling, right? And she also mentioned the use of TV in the morning. Some people, that work, that works for them. But for me personally, I have experimented with that. And for me, it, it honestly, it doesn't work. For me, yes, it does help me to wake up in the morning. However, for me personally, I've noticed that it actually makes me a little more anxious in the morning. I'm not as present. My mind begins to race. And so for me, that strategy doesn't work. But that obviously works for other people. So... No shame or judgment either way. Again, this is just parroting the idea, the importance of the idea that self-experimentation is key. Not only that, but really, truly engaging, giving all of these differing strategies that we've suggested and also that you come up with, and I'm sure there's others out there too, really giving them a shot and trying them out. And that really depends on what it is that you're hoping to try out, right? Some some strategies that you adopt may only require one or two times of trying it out and then you know, all right, this works for me or okay, nope, that doesn't. But truly, I mean, there have been times where I haven't given something a shot and I came back to it later and really truly engaged and realized that it does work for me. It was just a little more challenging in the beginning, but the the payoff was was worth the effort in the end. But so all of that being said, here's the final suggestion that I have for waking up in the morning. Actually, another one just popped in my mind. So I'm going to I'm going to mention two. The first is and this, this strategy helps me as well, is deep breathing in the morning, a little bit at a more rapid pace. So when you get up in the morning, if you feel tired, I personally recommend inhaling into your belly, ribs, chest, and then exhaling chest, ribs, belly. And really expand the belly, the, the side, the rib cage, the intercostal muscles that bind the breath in the rib cage. Filling up like your balloon, your <laughs> your balloon, your belly expands like a balloon, and you fill up in a 360 degree direction all around from top to bottom, and do it at a little bit of a faster pace, and just and do that until you're getting the oxygen to your brain, you're circulating the energy, circulating the blood until you feel that you're awake and ready to take on your day. Which brings me to my next recommendation. And this might see a little seem a little abstract and out there, but but bear with me. So I think this is really important and, and highly undervalued, and that is asking yourself the honest question. What is my purpose for getting up in the morning? Why am I here? What is my passion? Can, can, can you, can we, instead of looking for that cup of coffee or 
whatever it is. And there's no shame in, in enjoying your, your morning tea or coffee. I have a morning tea and, and there's no shame in any of that. But can we transition from external motivational factors, which research supports are not as motivational as intrinsic motivational factors, which again goes back to this idea of the question that I previously asked. What is your purpose for being here on this planet? I would use this opportunity Use the journal to not only experiment and explore what strategies work for you, but I encourage you to use the journal as an opportunity to flesh out, you know, to explore this idea. And I'm not trying to minimize where you're currently at in life or, or shame or guilt or blame or anything like that, okay? I'm simply offering a perspective. What is your purpose? What is your passion? And once you figure that out, can you use that to fuel you every day? Can you use that to motivate you, to excite you, to ignite you, to light your soul on fire, to get out of bed in the morning? We all deserve that. Of course, it requires effort and determination and focus and good sleep, as we know. (laughs) But really, I mean, we all deserve it. It just requires a little bit. We have to bring awareness to it. And I've actually been exploring these ideas myself. What is my purpose for being here? What is my passion? What are my passions? Plural. Maybe you have more than one. And maybe you have a job that does not integrate your passions, your your purpose. Maybe perhaps you could adopt a hobby or attempt to infuse the two together in the future or make that your goal, something that you can strive for to move, like developing a plan of action, something you can move toward in the future. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be easy And I'm definitely not saying that once you're aware of your purpose and passion, that immediately it's going to be like, all right, go time. (laughs) You know, that's not what I'm saying. But I have noticed a shift. I have noticed a difference. And I noticed that each day, waking up merely for the purpose of pursuing my passions, for pursuing my purpose, that is enough for me. And I believe we all have, we all deserve to have that be our motivational factor for getting up in the morning. And bear in mind, no purpose is too great or too small. Just meeting yourself where you're at and using the purpose, whatever purpose that is, that helps you to get up in the morning, that excites you to get up in the morning. And as always, being loving and compassionate to yourself on those days where maybe it does feel a little more challenging to get out of bed in the morning. But hopefully, through the use of these strategies, through self-experimentation, our hope, I think I can speak for Judy Ann when I say this, our hope for you is that you experiment with these differing strategies, 
you you figure out what works for you and you start to live the life that you want to live a more regulated a healthier more balanced existence an existence wherein you're excited and curious and open to the possibilities of the day that is my hope for you and i think dr jones is as well <laughs> I feel like I've given a ton of tips and, and examples and all of the things, so I will end here. I hope you all found this helpful. Y'all know I love you. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on What's Next.